Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Justin Grant. And today I'm sitting down with James Sibley. James has a TikTok account where he educates about seafood and dispels some myths to his audience of over 380,000 followers. So we talk about his experiences with that and kind of the career trajectory that he's looking to take for a career in this industry. It's really fascinating. It's a really cool conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into that, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen, so every new episode will be automatically downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. And follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact the podcast for any reason, do you want to sponsor the podcast, have topic suggestions, you want to be a guest, or you just want to get involved in any way, you can fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And if you have a minute, we would really appreciate it if you could take the time to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out and we appreciate everybody that's already done that. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with James and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we are sitting down today, or I'm sitting down today, just me, with James Sibley, who is a student at Northeastern University, but he has kind of carved himself a very specific little niche in the seafood industry. How many followers do you have on TikTok right now? I believe last I checked, it was about 380,000. Yeah, so that's no joke. That's a lot of people that uh, are interested to learn about seafood from James, and he's got some cool videos and a lot of experience from the processing point of view. And he shares a lot of cool facts, a lot of the same information that we talked about on here. But we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, James, I want to welcome you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to look at this kind of like a Career Pathways episode, but it's kind of a Career Pathways in the making because James is a senior uh, at Northeastern University, so he's just about to get ready and enter the workforce, and we're going to talk about kind of his aspirations and what he wants to do for a career and talk about some different paths and stuff, so it's going to be really interesting. So, uh, James, Let's talk about you. What do you, what do you do? Where'd you come from? You know, give us a give us a little background so people know who they're listening to. Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, it's great to be on the show, uh, Sean. I'm excited to be here. And I guess you could say it all began out in Carlisle, Massachusetts. Uh, you know, a small farm town outside of Boston. I was born and raised. You know, uh, went to high school there and kind of moved on to college, uh, not too far. You know, down Route Two, out in Boston. So you know, you said I'm at Northeastern University, and I'm actually in my fifth year here. So unlike traditional four-year programs, Northeastern has what are called co-ops. So you do these six-month internship stints throughout your degree, and it's actually required and part of your degree. So you know, for a semester, I'll go off and work for a biotech or a seafood distribution company, uh, two examples that come to mind because I've done them both. And yeah. because of that, right, it adds time to your degree. So in my time, my five years here, I've done three co-ops. I've done 18 months in the workforce, uh, which has been really interesting. It's very unique. Um, it's always fun to explain that to people when you say, oh, I'm a, I'm a fifth year here. Um, but when I came into Northeastern, um, I knew that I liked biology. So that was something I had figured out in high school. It, I was good at the classes. My teachers liked me. And it was just familiar to me. My mom 
uh, works in uh, kind of drug development, regulatory uh, stuff. And I didn't really know what was out there as far as what you could do with biology, right? I had been learning about Mendel's peas. <laughs> um, and I didn't know how to apply that to, you know, modern biology. I didn't know what I could do. I know you could go to med school and all this. So I explored all those paths for a few years, um, my freshman and sophomore year, just kind of talking to my advisors, taking a few uh, general classes in things like biochemistry um, and organic chemistry, the, the really fun stuff, uh, just oh, to yeah. figure out where I could go. Oh yeah, those were, those were fun. And I learned that med school was not my route, even though that's, when you say biology, that's what a lot of people assume, but it wasn't for me. It's a lot to do. It's a large commitment to make when you're 18 or 19 and I wasn't ready to do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad I didn't because what that led me to doing is the other side of biology, which ended up being pharmaceuticals. So uh, my first co-op was at a small biotech startup in Cambridge, uh, Neon Therapeutics. They did uh, cancer research. And I just kind of okay. worked behind the scenes there and helped out the scientists where I could. But it really introduced me to the whole industry. Um, and it was fascinating because the stuff they were doing was so far beyond my realm. You know, I, I was a second year undergraduate and the, these people had multiple PhDs and 10 years plus experience doing all these crazy laboratory uh, experiments. Um, and so I really just kind of fell in love with that side of biology, which was uh, gene therapies, uh, cellular therapies, and molecular biology. Um, so I continued on through that after there doing another co-op uh, the following year at a larger biotech. This one was Takeda Pharmaceuticals. They're one of the giants in Cambridge and around the world, actually. Very different environment, but again, it was still great experience. Um, and then COVID hit, which, you know, um, disrupted all of us, <laughs> uh, students mm -hmm. especially, because I was told, go home, come back eventually. Yeah. Which was- We don't know when. An interesting- Yeah. Th there, was, there was no way around that. So I went home and waited, um, kept waiting because I was hoping it'd be, oh, one semester or two semesters. No, it was- for me, it was a year and a half um, oh, wow. of waiting this through. And in that time, I, I had to do something. You know, I, I couldn't just sit around and do nothing or, or just do my like YouTube video equivalent online classes. I had to get my hands dirty. You know, I grew yeah. up in a farm town. I worked farms in the summers. I needed to do something. Um, and so I picked up just a, a night job or, you know, um, part-time work at Whole Foods, working at the seafood counter um, just after my classes and whatnot, just because I had uh, an ex previous experience in like food and agriculture and it was winter, so I couldn't exactly go back to the farms. Right. So I was like, okay, what's the next best thing? I love the ocean. I love food. How about seafood? Um, and that's where not only did I start my channel and <laughs> we can get into that, but that's where that really took off. But it's also where I really just fell down the rabbit hole that is the seafood industry. Yeah, that's something that we always talk about on these. Um, and I'm sure you said you're a listener, so I'm sure you've heard plenty of the uh, Career Pathways episodes that nobody really chooses to go into the industry. It finds them, right? Um, and they, they find themselves kind of drawn to it by virtue of whatever they choose to do, in your case, working at the seafood counter. And uh, and then you've kind of gone down that rabbit hole. So that's that's interesting. It's happening to you before you're even starting your, uh, you know, your post-college careers. So is it just biological sciences that you're studying right now? Yeah. So my diploma is going to say 
biology. Um, however, I do have a minor in entrepreneurship and my, uh, my major in biology is concentrated in cellular and genetic biology. Okay, cool. So in your eyes, when you finish up college, like what is, what is the goal right now? I know that's, that's hard because when you, I mean, how old are you? 23, probably 23, 24, something like that. Yes. Yeah. So at that age, it's really hard to, to, you know, you can't expect someone to just pick something to do for the rest of their life. So in this moment, kind of where do you see yourself? Where would you like to enter the industry or what industry you want to enter? And kind of what impact are you hoping to have? Because, well, I'm going to talk about why in a minute, but um, just kind of seeing like what's what's it, what's your vision for your for your near future after graduation? Yeah. So I wish I knew, <laughs> but from my entrepreneurship courses, which have been an interesting twist on a biology concentration. Um, I've kind of learned that disruption is key, not only to kind of success in in the uh, the industry, any industry, but also really to happiness and and uh, being content with what you do. Mm-hmm. I want to not only be impactful, I want it to be disruptive. And okay. with that said, a great way for me to do both is to join in using my background in academics and a bit professionally with. Uh, genetics and gene therapies, and join in in the aquaculture industry. So, I've spent the last uh, year or so, uh, actually like a year and a half, really honing in uh, my my own knowledge on aquaculture, building out a network of people around the world who are involved in aquaculture research as well as the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been fascinating uh, to learn from all these people. You know, I set up calls and and talk with people in anywhere from the top of Norway, all the way down to, uh, I had a conversation with somebody in Singapore a few weeks ago, Oh wow! Um, just to try and get perspective on this industry where there's no such thing as a class on international aquaculture, especially for undergrads that, nope. Um, you know, when I asked my academic advisor, like what kind of jobs could I look for in aquaculture? He looked at me funny and asked what aquaculture was. So it's really been a, a self, uh, directed, uh, learning experience uh, through what exactly aquaculture is, um, how all these different parts to it function, you know, inshore, offshore, RAS systems, everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I want to go. You know, I want to join the ever expanding world of aquaculture, especially here in the US with how both controversial and expansive it is at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and really just apply as much of the science as I can to help this industry grow. That's fantastic. And, you know, it really is, when you say global, I mean, that's no joke. This this industry is massive and nobody knows about it <laughs> unless you're you're within the industry, right? It's, it's, it's really interesting. So something that we talk about a lot at GSA that behind the scenes more is, um, you know, what we say like the graying of the industry, right? This is an industry where people work, they don't retire. They just keep working and they, they'll leave one company and they'll just go join another one uh, until they're very, very, very old. And the challenge that we've been seeing in the industry is getting younger people to want to work in this industry. And I think that's mainly because of a lack of uh, information out there. And so one thing that we're trying to do, me personally, uh, with my products here is I, I is we're trying to connect with younger people that are like in school like you or looking to even before school, like in high school, uh, that are looking to kind of decide what they want to do with their lives to make sure that they're aware of all the different opportunities that they could do. I mean, you could study almost anything at school and there would be a job for you in this industry somehow, whether it's marketing or IT or 
on the biosciences side or if you want to do the the manual labor of the actual farming of the animals and stuff like that there's a lot of opportunities but when i went to school i actually went to school for aquaculture and fishery tech uh, down in rhode island and when i cool. left <laughs> it was cool but every class was um you know we're learning this this semester we're going to learn how to raise this type of fish this semester we're going to learn how to build recirculating aqu- aquaculture systems and it's all very cool but then at the end i had no idea that there was more opportunities for work other than like working on a fish farm or opening my own fish farm. Like I was unaware of all the different facets of the industry and really how global and massive this industry was. So I think what you're doing is really cool because you are reaching out to people in these younger generations that and you're teaching them about all of the different topics within this industry that someone may find one thing interesting and they grab onto. They, they may say, oh, that, that video that you did on uh, transgenic trout was super cool. I want to look into that. And then they may decide, I'm going to take more biology classes. I want to I do some research into this transgenic fish thing, right? So um, finding ways to reach a younger audience that we can bring into the industry to really keep the industry going is, is really fascinating to me. What has been your experience kind of on that level of like, it's it's new for this industry to have what we call influencers, and I would consider you, a, you know, an industry influencer in this. What have you noticed about immersing yourself in this and teaching about this? And like, what what are people asking? What are what is the general perception of all of this? I'm just curious, kind of what it's been like as you've been growing this audience. Yeah, absolutely. So I started up my TikTok channel about a year and a half ago, just on a whim. I'm not a social media guy. I don't even consider myself like. A social media guy or an influencer to date, um, simply because one, I don't make any money. <laughs> well, and two, I just do whatever I want. You know, it's <laughs> it's my channel under my name. The only repercussions are those that would befall a digital footprint that I would poorly put out there, and that's not what I do. You know, um, I just talk about whatever's I whatever I find is interesting, mm-hmm. and that's what I attribute my pretty large international audience to at this point is because I have this authenticity and this intrinsic passion for not only discussing seafood, but actually learning with people. So mm-hmm. I'll raise questions with my audience and then I'll, I'll do the research and I'll answer it and I'll provide those sources that link back to you know whatever it might be, Aquaculture Journal. Um, and that has been a really important facet for my channel's growth, right? Is that kind of engagement. Another part of it is that people are curious. You know, when I started making these videos, I was doing it because I was doing all this research on my own and my friends and family were sick of me talking about fish. So I I needed an outlet. I needed somewhere to talk about this is why you tap oysters together before you sell them off to a a customer. Um, I needed to talk about everything. And the only way I could do that is online. Um, So I just started making videos explaining to people all the questions I I kept getting at the counter um, Mm -hmm. from customers. Um, And that was while I was at Whole Foods, you know, I, I very quickly moved on to my third and final co-op there at Foley Fish, which is where my channel really took off. And I got a lot of that uh, really cool footage from right. the actual processing plant. Yeah. Where's um, Foley Fish? But that uh, Foley Fish is in. So I worked in their seaport uh, distribution plant, but they also have a large facility in New Bedford. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, but in terms of like the curiosity from my audience, that's what I found is most interesting. Um, because most of the people who watch my videos, they're not in the industry, yeah. nor do they eat a lot of seafood, but 
they're extremely curious about it. I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of people in the industry do follow me and I love engaging with them um, as best I can. But, you know, of the 380,000, there's only so many people who are actually on boats or on a farm. Um, the rest are just fascinated by this stuff that they've never heard about. Um, and it's that kind of curiosity that, albeit comes with some conjectures, you know, I, I make videos on gene editing and fish or the lack of transparency in some parts of the industry. You know, when mm-hmm. I say I make authentic content, I talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Um, because it's all part of it. It is a complex industry as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I can, I can attest to that. The seafood industry is one of the most complex and complicated, massive, and it's the, the food, the supply chain is out of control. It's ridiculous. So <laughs> it's, and transparency and traceability is one of the biggest topics in the industry and has been for a little while and will continue to be. Yes. Sure. Do you see a lot of hostility from your audience? Maybe not necessarily yeah, so, geared towards you, but like I have a I feel like with a lot of the topics you talk about, things like transgenic fish and stuff like that. I don't know why I keep going back to that. That's just top of mind, I guess. But um, I imagine that in the comments section, there's going to be a lot of infighting within there about that kind of stuff. Do you see a lot of that? Oh, yes. Yeah. I very much do. Compared to other channels doing like prank videos or whatever it might be, educational channels get a lot of backlash no matter what. Because mm-hmm. uh, whenever you're talking about something and trying to display it with some sort of authority as like an educator, there are people who are going to disagree and they're going to be very vocal about it because they're anonymous. Mm-hmm. And that is especially true with seafood. Uh, oh, people yeah. have, everyone has opinions when it comes to fish, shellfish, mollusks. Even seaweed. I've gotten a lot of backlash on some seaweed videos. <laughs> what, um, what's the problem with seaweed? Why, <laughs> how can someone possibly find an issue with seaweed? <laughs> Besides it tasting, it's beyond they, me. they don't like the way it tastes. But. <laughs> Man. Uh, but yeah, and at first I was very discouraged by it. I, I thought that I was doing something wrong or that I shouldn't be doing it at all. Because if I had a video that would get 5 million views, I'd get 500 comments at least screaming at me yep. pretty much. But I very quickly learned that there's no way around that on the internet. I don't tune it out per se. And I, I do respond to actual questions, even if they're uh, negative in, in nature. But a lot of times people are just expressing their opinion and not trying to dive at an actual question. Yeah. And what's actually fascinating is as I've built up my audience and I've, I've grown a lot of like dedicated followers whenever I do some sort of controversial topic, like for say transgenic fish, there's always people who are sticking up not only for me, but for the industry and for whatever topic it might be um, that I'm discussing. They'll, they'll respond to these people, they'll they'll start discussions um, that go on for days. I just get notifications every 20 minutes of this massive thread that's been going on. Um, It's really kind of cool to watch happen. It's it's interesting how people put uh, personal emotion into something like fish in boxes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. And there's a lot of the comments, right? It's it's a lot to do with their dying farmed fish or mm-hmm. the antibiotics are out of control or that's not even salmon. Um, but it's so much more complicated than that. You can't just say, oh, antibiotics are being used, so we can't eat any farmed fish. Right. It's interesting because that's not how people look at produce or what I like to call land meats, mm-hmm. right? You don't hear one bad story about cattle and be like, okay, I'm cutting out beef entirely. Right, yeah, um, but that that's seems the thing. to be the so, case with a lot of fish. So yeah, it's interesting the the whole terrestrial proteins versus uh, aquatic proteins is you know the, the terrestrial proteins is really like what three major ones? I mean, poultry, beef, and pork, pigs, right? 
Yeah, and US. it's like, and each one of them has a really just massive marketing machine um, that has like a unified voice for their for their products and stuff. And so um, they're able to, and they and they've been able to market it to consumers for so much longer than like farm fish has, right? And with seafood, it's like there's so many different species out there, and everyone, everything is so niche down, and everyone is kind of, you know, you you can't. It's hard to get find like a unified voice that can talk to consumers about the benefits of just seafood as a whole, because there's so many different facets to it. Like I said, it's one of the most complicated supply chains in the world. And so it's, it's just interesting how people cling on to certain points like, Oh, tilapia is worse for you than bacon. Like, okay, we dispelled that myth on the podcast first season, but you know, our first year, but (laughs) it doesn't matter what you say. Even if you present these people with facts, sometimes they just want to believe what they want to believe. And they, there's a lot of pride associated with these things. You know, they don't want to admit that they were wrong about something. So it's a, it's, it's always been an uphill battle uh, for seafood, which is so interesting to me. Have you noticed that? Uh, I, I know I'm, I'm harping a lot on like generational stuff, but it's because I come from a specific generation that's a little bit older than yours, but I also work with a lot of people that are much older than myself. And so it's, it's, it, I've noticed kind of different philosophies from each. And so I'm curious if you see a lot of people that are kind of, in your generation or younger that are more accepting of different ideas and, and uh, willing to kind of admit that maybe they were wrong about something as opposed to other generations that maybe are a little more stubborn or is it kind of all over the map or do you not really know? I mean, obviously a lot of these people are anonymous. It's a weird question. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's spot on because it's all over the board, right? Yeah. So Sometimes I do engage with comments that I know it's just going to be inflammatory. Right. Um, yeah. Simply because I might be bored or because it is so, it is such a strikingly wrong and offensive answer mm-hmm. that I, I really want anyone reading the comments to see that and see that I pointed out <laughs> something. Right. Um, I, I get a lot of comments about Jurassic Park whenever I talk about anything with CRISPR or gene editing. Yeah. So I, I try to jump on that as fast as I can. <laughs> and what's interesting is even if people are, very aggressive in their tone and their language um, because they're anonymous. 99% of the time when I jump back in, they become apologetic. They, they say sorry for the instigation. They say that they're thankful for my content and that they appreciate what I'm doing. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, and I think it has to do with seafood having in the public eye uh, a lot of conjectures. So, you know, people have very strong opinions without a lot of basis for it like they may like they may in other areas mm-hmm. and that is very much true for my generation generation i guess i'm z um as it is for all of the others um however i have noticed that um amongst my peers well people come in with these uh, preconceived notions about seafood whatever it might be good bad or or seaspiracy level bad <laughs> oh, <yeah>. um <laughs> they're very quick to change yeah. so they listen especially because they know how to use like TikTok, for instance, they can peruse through my channel and find more information on what I'm talking about. They know how to go and find the sources that I mentioned because I'll say, oh, um, Gia et al. 2022. That's something that somebody who has a little experience looking at scientific articles could actually go and check out themselves. And that's something I think that people are getting better at is mm-hmm. using those online resources to kind a, of confirm what I'm saying. Or There's a level of comfort it. with certain generations that others just don't have right with a lot of these things so it's interesting this is this stuff is just fascinating to me because you know my job i what i get paid to do is to talk about seafood on a microphone and try and dispel myths and just share 
real good, true information. Uh, like you said, good, bad, and ugly. I tend to kind of focus on the good a little bit more because I, you know, me too. Uh, the information is the same, and the if it's good, right, positive, true information, then I, I'm I'm going to share it, and I think that's what you do too, and I I commend you for it. And I I always tell people that are in any kind of media like this, you know, you're doing something right when the haters come out, and it sounds like the haters have been out in full force for you. So congrats, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, thank you. Yeah, they they love my stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I, I really do. I, I want to take this moment before we go any further. I do want to encourage our listeners. If you are on TikTok, which I don't I, I don't know how many of our listeners are on TikTok or not. But if you are, definitely go and check out James's channel. Is that what it's called? Channel? <laughs> go yeah, I think so. Okay, we'll call it a channel. Go check out his TikTok channel because it's just if you like listening to this show, it's it's all the same type of stuff. It's the same type of information, you know, just sharing sharing facts about the industry and, and dispelling myths and answering questions. And it's just really good stuff. He does a really great job and he backs up all the information that he says. And he has some really cool footage of processing, usually very large tunas that uh, is really fun to watch. So definitely go check it out. We'll link to it in the show notes. So, James, I want to know kind of, we, we you know, we talked about what's next. But, you know, what are some of the issues in the industry that you see as some of the biggest challenges that we, that we have to face or we will be facing in the future? Of course. From your, from your I may be biased, but I think that consumer awareness is by far one of the biggest hurdles to overcome. Mm-hmm. A lot has changed in 40 years in the industry, and not a lot has changed in people's minds. That is by far going to be not only the biggest challenge, but the best achievement once uh, the industry can kind of start to convey how things have changed, what it is they're doing in a way that is perceptible and engaging with the audit, with the public. Because when you really get into it, when you start talking about, you know, uh, RAS versus uh, some sort of fjord inshore salmon, nobody knows or cares, all they hear is farmed. Right. But there's a world of difference there. Yeah. Right. And it's those kind of like connections with other industries that you have to pull people away from because there's no similarities between farming plants or farming pigs when you are looking at salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's number one. And I guess bias again here, but one of the parts I see that has the most room for expansion is utilizing modern therapeutic and, and gene therapy techniques. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, across the board, this is not just with seafood, but the term GMO has become really just a, a bad omen. Yep. You know, companies are selling stuff at premiums because it's GMO free, right. even if it's not actually the case, but it's a discussion for another time. Yeah. But that's no longer true that GMOs are bad. Now, you know, the concern came from what I call classical gene editing techniques, where there were a lot of unknowns. Um, so people's fears were warranted because who knows what was going to happen? Right. No one, but that has changed. Um, at the present, there are gene editing techniques that are so precise and getting better every day with, especially with CRISPR, that they've been approved in humans. So there are people alive today because they have had stem cell gene therapies. Mm-hmm. If that's not an omen to how far gene editing has come and how, how different it was than it was two or three decades ago when, for say, Aqua Bounty first introduced AquaVantage Salmon. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is. And that will bring forth a whole new wave, not just in seafood, across the board of capabilities, but in seafood, 
it will allow farms to really scale yeah. far beyond what we have at the moment. And I think that it could happen in a positive manner where it's not just a corporation taking over and monopolizing an industry because you could work with the, uh, you, you, you could kind of build this out correctly in an international manner. Seafood is very international. There's no reason that you just let Monsanto take and run with it. Mm-hmm. You could make this become like a community effort. Yeah, that's so to me, I look at that that argument, not really argument, that discussion as kind of a product of fear of the unknown, right? It's I just I don't know if I've talked about this on this show or not, but I'm I'm working on my master's degree in writing and I actually just finished a course on Victorian literature and it was more more of a history class than, than anything else with a lot of reading. But, you know, the big the biggest societal issues back then were all around this fear of the unknown surrounding uh, an advan- a rapid advancement of scientific techniques and new scientific discovery versus old religious beliefs and and people were kind of having an identity crisis they weren't sure what to believe or because it just it's it's scary when there's something when you learn something new and you don't fully understand it and um that really as I'm going through all of that stuff in that class, I'm just thinking, God, this is just exactly like what's going on today with all of this new stuff. We always talk about going back to what you said in, uh, in your first point, which was about the um, consumer awareness and consumer education, stuff like that. We always talk about what we call the vacuum. I'm sure you've heard us talk about the vacuum before where the industry is doing all this great stuff and we all get together at these industry events. We go to conferences and, and seafood shows and we do presentations about all of these amazing advancements and great stuff that we're doing for sustainability or responsibility and pat each other on the back. Uh, and then we keep going out and we go do our work. And uh, the only people that know about any of this stuff are those that are within the industry. Um, and nobody outside of the industry has any idea that all this great stuff is happening and that we've made all of these advancements and, and responsibility is is such a priority for the production of seafood and all this stuff now. And certifications and standards and everything. And it's just like, it's really hard to break out of that vacuum. And um, I think what you're doing is a really fantastic way of doing that and reaching the people that are so hard to reach for us because we're meeting them where they are, right? Especially meeting a young a younger demographic of consumers who have a lot of purchasing power even though we feel like we don't have any money, but we have a lot of purchasing power and we always say you vote with your wallet, right? So if those people that are the ones making voting for what we want in the future, aka more responsible seafood, better food safety and all that stuff, better choices overall. If we're able to educate them, then it that's what's going to move the needle for the industry. And so I think um, you taking this unique approach of having a TikTok channel and getting good, real, positive information about the industry out there, I think that's really going to make a difference. And it shows that the interest is there. I mean, you have over 300,000 followers, right? That's People want to know about this stuff. Uh, you just need to meet them where, where where they're at. And I think this is a very new thing for this industry. And so it's 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 a challenge for sure. So I appreciate that. I don't want to go too much longer because I know you you are a busy student and believe me, I've I've been there. I know what it's like uh, and you're in Boston. So there's always something to do over there. Is there anything else that you want to get out there before we kind of wrap up? It's a good question. Thanks. This is what I do. Um, <laughs> first of all, it's cool that you're uh, doing a master's in, in writing, you said? Yeah, creative writing. Yeah. It, I, my wife works for the university I'm going to. So I was able to, to take cool. it for free. So I was like, I'm going to do something I'm interested in. So. Thank you. I like it. Yeah, I hope to pursue my master's too at some point down the road once I have money or a wife who can get me in for free. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I really never um, planned on it. I actually said in, I, I used to have a podcast 10 years ago or so, and we did an episode about 
master's programs. And I was like, no, I don't like school. I will never go get my master's. Once I'm done with my bachelor's, I'm done. I'm never going back. And now here I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> never believe your past self. You know, that's funny. That's the lesson. Yeah. Uh, as far as like last comments, I get asked a lot how I attained this audience. You know, I, I, I just passed 200 million views uh, cumulatively uh, a few months ago. Um, and with that came a lot of people reaching out, wondering how I did it, looking to do sponsored content, all this kinds of stuff that I was kind of new to. Mm-hmm. Um, and to those people who were wondering how I did it, it's not a matter of just talking. You can't just talk about something you're interested in because quite frankly, most people don't care. Right. Um, you have to talk in a way that other people are interested. It, it, it can't be a way that, um, i trying to figure out how I want to say this. You have to convey your message in a way that is not only perceptible, but engaging mm-hmm. to a large majority of people. So I can't just talk about how I think we need to put new legislation in to allow more fish farms in the US. I need to talk about how this is going to affect wild fisheries. Mm-hmm. I need to talk about how we can bring people into those facilities who know what they're doing and set up all sorts of like apprenticeship programs so we can kind of build out this new industry, kind of like they did in, I believe it was Brooklyn. So it's it's really a, an interesting way to approach public speaking because you can't read the audience. There's right. no changing what you say or what you said. You have to go into it. And I don't do scripts. I just, I talk. And it, it, it's been a very interesting way to figure out how to convey my message in a way that people will actually listen. Because you can talk at a wall all you want. No one's going to care. Yeah. It's just a matter of how I say it and how I apply those like engaging parts, which a lot of it is due to all the footage I got working at Foley Fish. Um, that kind of keeps people from swiping down, but right. they have to actually listen to what you're saying. Um, yeah. So I, I try my best there to keep it engaging. That's a nice approach for sure. Is there, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you if they'd like to interact at all? My email uh, that I use for TikTok is uh, james.sibley.business at gmail.com. I read it all the time. So if anybody wants to reach out there, of course, as well as TikTok. Um, That's how I got in contact you did, with you. Yeah. Uh, anyone can reach out to me on TikTok and Hopefully I see it. <laughs> yeah. there, there is a lot of a lot of notifications going on, but I try not to miss stuff. Fantastic. So I'll make sure uh, I'll make sure to put that information in our show notes. I think that's all I have. I'm, I'm really just I'm glad that we were able to get you on and talk about this. It's, it's really fascinating to me to talk with more and more people about getting into the industry and kind of starting off their careers and what what they have, you know, in, in mind for the industry, because I, I've been in the industry for about 10 years now, and it's just one of those things where like I have a decade's worth of my own opinions about the industry, but that's a big difference from when I started to when someone's starting now. And the people that I work with, some of them have been in the industry for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you know, and it's just, uh, it, it's difference in opinions and it's different uh, perspectives on everything. And I think it's really cool to kind of pick your brain a little bit about that. So thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing me on and Hey, you have more experience than I do. So if you ever want to, tear apart my logic in a video feel free <laughs> yeah no maybe maybe i'll, <laughs> I'll get a I'll little leave it up maybe i'll get a little braver and and start uh start stitching some videos with you we'll we'll have to see i'm not i'm not a big you know that be fun. producer on there but but maybe uh yeah maybe i'll start i'll start interacting a little bit on there a little more we'll see uh, i'm more comfortable behind the mic where nobody can see my my face but you know uh, <laughs> we'll make it happen um thank you so much again and we will talk to you soon of course thanks for having me
folks, that was my conversation with James Sibley. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something, and I hope you'll go check out his channel over on TikTok. As I say every week, please be sure to subscribe to Aquademia if you haven't already, wherever you listen, so every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded to your device. And follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact the podcast for any reason, you can fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. Remember to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out. We appreciate everybody that's already done that. And remember, if you like what we do and you want to be more involved, you might want to consider becoming a member of the Global Seafood Alliance. You can find all the information about that at globalseafood.org slash membership. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Ciao. Bye.